We've been following our series through the life of Joseph, and the life of Joseph starts with him having his dreams. He's then taken, he's thrown into the pit, and sold as a slave into the land of Egypt. And at that point of the story, you get asked the big question, well, where is God? Where is God when Joseph is sold and uh, goes to work in Potiphar's house? And last week, we looked at chapter 39, and chapter 39 actually tells us the answer to that question. Right in verse 2, we read five powerful words. It says, the Lord was with Joseph. That's where God was. He was right there with him in Potiphar's house. And then as we follow on the story, he suffers more injustice at the hands of Potiphar's wife. And he's taken and he's thrust into that Egyptian prison. And you can stop and ask that question again. Where's God? Give this guy a break. Why are all these things happening to him? Where is God in that situation? And again, God repeats in chapter 39 those five powerful words twice in verses 21 and 23 says the lord was with joseph that's where god was he was right there with them so let's go with joseph and let's go with god into that egyptian prison as we read chapter 40 and we'll also read a few verses from chapter 41 as well Sometime later, the cupbearer and the baker of the king of Egypt offended their master, the king of Egypt. Pharaoh was angry with his two officials, the chief cupbearer and the chief baker, and put them in custody in the house of the captain of the guard in the same prison where Joseph was confined. The captain of the guard assigned them to Joseph, and he attended them. After they had been in custody for some time, each of the two men, the cupbearer and the baker of the king of Egypt, who were being held in prison, had a dream the same night. And each dream had a meaning of its own. When Joseph came to them the next morning, he saw that they were dejected. So he asked Pharaoh's officials who were in custody with him in the master's house, Why are your faces so sad today? We both had dreams, they answered, but there is no one to interpret them. Then Joseph said to them, Do not interpretations belong to God? Tell me your dreams. So the chief cupbearer told Joseph his dream. He said to him, In my dream I saw a vine in front of me. And on the fine were three branches. As soon as it budded, it blossomed, and its clusters ripened into grapes. Pharaoh's cup was in my hand, and I took the grapes, squeezed them into Pharaoh's cup, and put the cup into his hand. This is what it means, Joseph said to him. The three branches are three days. Within three days, Pharaoh will lift up your head and restore you to your position, and you will put Pharaoh's cup in his hand, just as you used to do when you were his cupbearer. But when all goes well with you, remember me and show me kindness. Mention me to Pharaoh and get me out of this prison. For I was forcibly carried off from the land of the Hebrews. And even here I've done nothing to deserve being put in a dungeon. When the chief baker saw that Joseph was given a favorable interpretation, he said to Joseph, I too had a dream. On my head were three baskets of bread. In the top basket were all kinds of baked goods for Pharaoh. But the birds were eating them out of the basket on my head. This is what it means, Joseph said. The three baskets are three days. Within three days, Pharaoh will lift off your head and hang you on a tree, and the birds will eat away your flesh. Now the third day was Pharaoh's birthday, and he gave a feast for all his officials. He lifted up the heads of the chief cupbearer and the chief baker in the presence of his officials. He restored the chief cupbearer to his position so that he once again put the cup into Pharaoh's hand, but he hanged the chief baker just as Joseph had said to him in his interpretation. The chief cupbearer, however, did not remember Joseph. He forgot him. And then in the first, or chapter 41, when two full years had passed, Pharaoh had a dream. He was standing by the Nile. 
When out of the river there came up seven cows, sleek and fat, and they grazed among the reeds. After them seven other cows, ugly and gaunt, came out of the Nile and stood beside those in the river bank. And the cows that were ugly and gaunt ate up the seven sleek, fat cows. Then Pharaoh woke up. He fell asleep again and had a second dream. Seven heads of grain, healthy and good, were growing on a single stalk. After them, seven other heads of grain sprouted, thin and scorched by the east wind. The thin heads of grain swallowed up the seven healthy, full heads. Then Pharaoh woke up, and it had been a dream. And then turn over to verse 15. Pharaoh said to Joseph, I had a dream, and no one can interpret it. But I have heard it said that that when you hear a dream, you can interpret it. I cannot do it, Joseph replied to Pharaoh. But God will give Pharaoh the answer he desires. And then Joseph goes on, he interprets the dream for Pharaoh and explains how there's going to be seven good years and then seven years of famine. And then we come over to verse 39, it says, Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, Since God has made all this known to you, there is no one so discerning and wise as you. You shall be in charge of my palace and all my people are submit to your orders. Only with respect to the throne will I be greater than you. And so reads, God's word. And in the Andrew Lloyd Webber stage play, Joseph and the Technicolor Dreamcoat, when we come to this section, when Joseph is in prison, he starts to lose a bit of hope and he starts to despair. And at this point in the original stage play, the narrator steps in and he speaks directly to Joseph himself. And he says, don't worry, I've actually read the book and it all works out well in the end. And sadly for the real Joseph, that didn't actually happen. He had to wait over 20 years until he discovered that it all works out well in the end. But during those 20 years, Joseph discovered some powerful lessons, incredible lessons. Two lessons that we're going to look at this morning. Two lessons that Joseph learned, but also two lessons that every single one of us in this room need to learn this morning. And the first lesson is that God is in control. God is almighty, and God is sovereign, and God is in control. And the second lesson that Joseph learned and that we can learn this morning is that God is with his people. We've learned that from Psalm 121 already this morning. God watches over his people. But not only does he watch over his people, he's with them himself. The Lord was with Joseph. That's what we learned from chapter 39. And right at the start of this chapter we're looking at this morning, chapter 40, we find Joseph himself in prison. And why is he there? Well, you could say he's in prison because his brother sold him as a slave. Or you could say he's in prison because of the injustice at the hands of Potiphar's wife. But what's the real reason? Why is he in jail? Well, to find out that, we need to be a bit like the narrator. We need to go forward to the end of the story. And then we actually need to go back right to the start as well. And if we go forward, first of all, right to the end of the book of Genesis, in chapter 50 and verse 19, we actually find the key, the key that unlocks the whole story of Joseph and explains it to us. Because in chapter 50 and verse 19, Joseph finally stands in front of his brothers after his father has died, and he says these powerful words. He said, you intended it for evil, but God intended it for good. And why did God do that? goes on in the verse to say, to save the lives of many. God was in control. You intended for evil, but God was in control, and he intended it for good, to save the lives of many. And then if we go back in the story many, many years, way back to Joseph's great-grandfather, Abraham, 
And God gave Abraham a series of promises or covenants. He said to Abraham, I'm going to give you a seed or descendant. It's going to make you into a mighty nation. They're going to be like the stars in the night sky. Impossible to count. They're going to be like the grains of sand on a beach. You could never count them. They're going to be my special people, my nation. And I'm going to give them a land to live in. We call it the promised land. And then he gave them probably the greatest promise. He said, through your seed, through your descendants, I will bless all the peoples and all the nations of the earth. And we know today that that was a promise that was fulfilled in God's own son, Jesus Christ. One of the seed of Abraham, he was a descendant of Abraham. And Jesus Christ lived on this earth. He actually lived in the promised land. He walked this earth and he lived the life that we should have lived. And then ultimately he died the death we deserved on the cross in our place for our sins. And when he died on the cross, he was dying to fulfill that great promise. And when he rose again, he gave the disciples that great commission. Go into all the world and share this good news, this gospel. Share with them the promises and the plans that God has made. And what he has kept through his son, Jesus Christ. And a few moments ago, we sat at the table. And as I look out in this congregation this morning, there are people here from different places in the world and different nationalities. And this congregation this morning is a small witness to the proof that God did fulfill that promise to bless the nations and the people in the world. And he continues to do that as well. But those promises and those plans that God had made and given to Abraham were in danger because there was a famine coming and famine kills people. People die of starvation. And if God's chosen people, those descendants of Abraham, were to starve to death, that would have been the end of the promises. How could the nations of the earth be blessed by a family who are on the verge of destruction? And 20 years before the famine came, God allows Joseph to be thrown into a pit taken to Egypt and placed in a prison cell. Why? Because he's in the right place at the right time because God is in control. And in the prison, he meets two people who we've read about this morning, the cupbearer and the baker. And these two men have two dreams, and we all have dreams. I wake up in the morning, and I know I've had a dream the night before. But I don't turn around to my wife, Joanne, give her a shake and wake her up and start to tell her my dreams. And there's a number of reasons for that. It's Primarily not the best way she likes to be woken in the morning. But also when I wake up in the morning, I know I've had a dream, but I can't really remember most of it. Little snippets, random thoughts. And I don't really have a coherent dream to share with my wife. And I also don't share it because I don't really think much about it. It's just the thoughts that go through my mind at night. And I don't expect my dreams to come true. Again, they're just random thoughts. But these two dreams were different. They made a difference. These two men, the cupbearer and the baker, woke up in the morning and they knew this dream was different from the dreams they've had all the previous nights. Because God can use dreams. He uses dreams here in the life of Joseph six times. We read about dreams. And he uses it in other places in the Old Testament, like Daniel as well. And Joseph himself knew that the dreams were significant. Look at verse 6 of chapter 40. He says, when Joseph came to them the next morning, he saw that they were dejected. So he asked Pharaoh's officials who were in custody with him in his master's house, why are your faces so sad today? He noticed the difference. And then he tells them that he can interpret the dreams, not him personally, but God can use them to tell him what these dreams meant. Now let's think about these two dreams. Two men have a dream on the same night. And both their dreams are very similar. And Joseph 
gives them an interpretation. And he says, in three days' time, your dreams are going to come true. And in three days' time, what did happen? The, three dream, or the two dreams were interpreted and came true exactly as Joseph had told them how it would happen. And there are six dreams I've just said in the story of Joseph. Joseph has two right at the start in chapter 37. These two men have a dream each, and then Pharaoh has two dreams. These six dreams are interpreted by Joseph, and all six dreams happen exactly as the interpretation is given. Now, how does that happen? Is that chance? Is that good luck? Good fortune? Just the way it happened? It can't happen like that. How did these dreams come true? The reason is, is because God is in control. God knows the future. And the reason God knows the future is because he's the one who plans the future. And because he's in control of what's going to happen in the future, he can give the exact interpretation into Joseph's head to communicate with them. And then at the end of chapter 40, we're hit with a bombshell. Let's look at verse 23. It says, The chief cupbearer, however, did not remember Joseph. He forgot him. See, after Joseph given the interpretation to the cupbearer, he said, Remember me? I don't deserve to be in this prison cell. I've been suffered injustice. I don't deserve to be here. When you get out, tell Pharaoh, and he'll get me out of this place. And here's the bombshell. He did not remember Joseph. He forgot him. And at that point in the story, our heart sinks. And we feel sorry for him. Can this guy not get a positive break in his life? This is over 10 years of misery now at this stage in Egypt as a slave and now in prison. Why is this happening? And the reason it's happening is because it wasn't the right time. God had him there for a reason because God was still in control. But let's think about it. If the cupbearer had come out and gone into the face of Pharaoh and said, Pharaoh, thank you for releasing me, but there's another man in the prison, a Hebrew, and he interpreted my dream, and it happened exactly as he said. And he's there because he doesn't deserve to be there. He's there because of injustice. Will you think kindly towards him as well? Would you release him? What do you think Pharaoh would have done? Well, he might have been interested in the story for a few seconds. But it had no significance to his life. He probably would have just shrugged his shoulders and left it. But in two years' time, that knowledge was to prove significant. Because two years' time, Pharaoh himself has a dream. Two dreams given by God. Two dreams that disturb him. And in two years' time, when he hears that news that there's a Hebrew in jail who can interpret dreams, it's significant. And at the right time, Joseph is brought quickly into the presence of Pharaoh. And he starts to interpret Pharaoh's dreams. And he acknowledges to Pharaoh that it's not him who's able to do it. It's God himself. Let's look at verse 16 of chapter 41. In verse 16, Joseph says, I cannot do it, Joseph replied to Pharaoh, but God will give Pharaoh the answer he desires. And let's look at verse 25, the second half of it. Again, to Pharaoh's face, Joseph says, God has revealed it to Pharaoh what he is about to do. And then verse 28, God has shown Pharaoh what he is about to do. And then verse 32, the reason the dream was given to Pharaoh in two forms is that the matter has been firmly decided by God, and God will do it soon. What is Joseph teaching Pharaoh in those verses? Here's Pharaoh, the most powerful man in the world, 
And Joseph is looking him straight in the face and teaching him that God is in control. This is what your dream means, and God will do it. This is what it means, and God will do it, because God is in control. And the result is that Joseph's taken out, he's promoted, and God has moved him from a pit to a palace, and he has him in the right place at the right time. Why? To save many people. Just by chance? Just by accident? No. What does it teach us? It teaches us that God is in control. And that's important for all of us to learn. That should give us great confidence. That should give us all great comfort this morning to know that our God is in control. Think about our lives. Think about the situations that you find yourself in this morning. I don't know you. I've only been here a few weeks. I know some of you by name. I know some of your partner's names. I know some of the names of your children. might know the job you do. But I don't know anybody here, really. I don't know the situations you find yourself in. Hopefully, over the next seven months, we will really get to know you a lot better as a family as we, as we work here with you. But we don't know you. I don't know the children, the situation you're going to go into tomorrow in school. Students, I don't know the situation you find yourself in your studies at the moment. For those people who work, I don't know what your job life is like and the thought of going in tomorrow. Maybe as you put your head on bed, the pillow tonight, you might be able to sleep as you think about the situation that faces you this week. I don't know what your home life is like. I don't know when you leave this church this morning and you get into your car and you head back home, what you're going to face or what are those thoughts that are going to go through your mind when you come away from this nice church situation. I don't know your health situations or the issues that you face. I don't know any of these things. And maybe you're sitting here this morning and you're asking the same question, where is God? Where is God in my situation at the moment? Or maybe you're asking, why is this happening? Why is this happening at this time? And the truth we needed to discover this morning, we need to think about, is no matter what situation we find ourselves in this morning, God is in control. You mightn't see it at the moment. You mightn't feel it at the moment. Joseph, in his life, it was over 20 years before he could see that it all worked out for good. And you mightn't see it at the moment and you mightn't feel it, but the biblical truth is still the same, that God is in control. And when I think back upon my life, and I'm still young at the moment, so it's not a long life to think back upon, I can think back to two particular moments which I would describe as dark periods in my life. Two periods where I hit rock bottom. And I asked the same questions. Where is God? Why is this happening to me? I don't want to go into details. If you're interested, you can ask me later, but it's not the place to share it here. One happened just after I left school. One happened just after I left university. Where is God in this situation? But looking back now, over 15 years since that happened, I can see that God was in control. Yes, I had my plans and my schemes, but God had a better plan, and God was in control. And there are many people sitting here this morning, and you could come up to the front, and you could testify, looking back maybe 20, 30, 40, 50, 60, 70 years, as you look back in your life, at times you asked, where is God? Why is this happening? But now you know that God was in control. And for some of us, we might never see that in this life. But in eternity, we will know that God was in control. And I've taken great comfort this week from the book of Romans. I wonder if you would turn with me to Romans chapter 8, just for two verses. Very well known. This is a great chapter of Scripture. I encourage you to read it all. 
But there's just two wonderful verses I'd like to share with you this morning that really brought me great comfort as I've thought about the fact that God is in control and in control in our lives. And Romans 8 and verse 28 say these words. I'm sure you know them. And we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. God works for good. Jeremiah the prophet would say something similar. He says, I know the plans I have for you, plans for good and not for evil. And then as we look at verse 22, this, or 32, it tells us something about the character of God. It says, he who did not spare his own son, but give him up for us all, how will he not also along with him graciously give us all things? This is the almighty God. This is the almighty God who loves us. And he loves us so much that he didn't spare his own son. He gave his own son for us. And if God loves us so much that he gave us his only son, how will he not give us good things? The plans he has for our lives are for good and not for evil. And a year and a half ago, I left paid employment to go into Bible college to study for three years. And I don't know what God has in the future. I shared that with Nigel when he interviewed me at the front a couple of weeks ago. I don't know what the future holds. And when I started Bible college, a friend gave me a good quote to meditate on. He said these words, God has a great plan for your life, and occasionally he lets you in on it. I'll say those words again. God has a great plan for your life, and occasionally he lets you in on it. See, God doesn't promise to explain why he's doing things or what's going to happen in the future. And we know that his ways are not our ways. Look at the story of Joseph. That's proof. If we had planned the story of Joseph, it wouldn't have happened the way it did. God doesn't promise to explain that. And he doesn't promise that our life's going to be easy. And God doesn't promise that our life's going to be pain-free. But he does give us one particular promise in the Bible. And he does promise to be with us. And we have lots of children here this morning. And I'm used to talking to children from my previous ministry. And often when I'm talking to children who are Christians, I like to teach them a promise from the Bible. And I like to use my hand, the four fingers and the thumb, to remind them of five important words that God promises in the Bible. And it's a promise that he makes time and time again throughout characters in the Old Testament's lives, but it's also a promise that Christ made as well in the New Testament. And these five words he says to his people, I will be with you. God doesn't, always, doesn't promise to explain, but he does promise, I will be with you. And that's not just a promise for children. That's a promise for everybody in this room who knows and loves God and follows Jesus Christ. Children, no matter what situation you find yourself in life, put your hand out in front of you and remember that promise. I will be with you. Adults, you might want to put your hand up. You might to remind you, but the promise is still true. God says, I will be with you. Our God The God who is in control is not distant. He just doesn't leave us here. He promises to be with us no matter what situation we find ourselves in. And the theme of this series is living the dream. And the reason it's called living the dream is because that's what Joseph was doing. He was living out those dreams he had right at the start in 37. His dreams were to come true. But for us in our lives, our dreams rarely come true. And this morning we shouldn't just live the dream. This morning we need to live the reality. And the reality this morning for our lives is, firstly, that God is in control. 
And then secondly, God promises, I will be with you. God is with his people. That should give us great confidence this morning. That should give us great comfort and great courage. That should actually encourage us to worship our great and our almighty and our powerful God. So this morning, let's live in the reality, not the dream, the reality of these biblical truths. God is in control and God is with his people. Let's pray and let's praise God for that this morning. Father God in heaven, we thank you that you are indeed the great and the almighty God. You're the God who spoke to absolutely nothing and this world came into existence. We thank you you're not a distant God, but you're the God who's in control. You are sovereign. And we praise you this morning. Your plans are for good and not for evil. And even when we don't understand, and even when we ask that question, where are you, God? Because we can't see you in the trials and the troubles and the suffering of life. We praise you this morning for that promise that you will be with us. Help us to live in the reality of that. Help us to know that in our own hearts and our own lives. Help us to be a great comfort and fill us with great confidence this morning. Bless us, we pray, in Jesus Christ's wonderful name. Amen.